0: This is Curiosity Killed the Plaque with Hygienist Spring Hatfield on the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Listen as Spring uses her naturally curious mind to explore the relevant topics hygienists currently face today. Hello, fellow dental professionals and tooth enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Plaque. I'm your host, Spring Hatfield. And today we have a very important topic to explore, evidence-based dentistry for caries management. In an era where medicine is increasingly guided by research and evidence, why does dentistry seem to lag behind? Let's discuss this topic and find out why it matters for both patients and dental professionals. So for many years, healthcare has evolved to provide standardized and evidence-based care across various medical fields. But when it comes to dentistry, it seems like there's a disconnect. Dentistry is often practiced on a spectrum, relying heavily on personal experience rather than scientific evidence. However, the good news is, is that things are changing. In 2007, the American Dental Association established the Center for Evidence-Based Dentistry. This was um, huge because it signaled a commitment to integrating science into dental practice. Unfortunately, uh, gaining traction among practicing dentists and dental hygienists has been a challenge because there are so many across the United States. And in my personal opinion, I don't think the ADA did a very good job of disseminating this information, which is one of the reasons why this topic is so important to me because I think there are a lot of dental professionals that don't even know it exists. So why does evidence-based dentistry matter? It's all about providing the best care for patients. Evidence-based dentistry integrates the best available scientific evidence with clinical expertise and the patient's preferences. So let's explore how that approach can elevate the quality of dental care. I think before we really dive into that, though, I do want to mention that not all evidence is created equal. There is a hierarchy of evidence that guides clinical decisions. Uh, Systematic reviews, meta-analysis, and randomized controlled trials are at the top of that hierarchy, and these are the gold standards in research and also what most uh, clinical practice guidelines are based upon. So one area where evidence-based dentistry is making a difference is in the treatment of dental caries. While the traditional drill and fill approach has been dominant, the ADA has updated its guidelines to promote minimally invasive approaches and non-restorative treatments. This is very beneficial for individuals who lack access to care due to um, living in rural communities and things of that nature, or uh, patients that have financial constraints where they can't afford to have certain treatments done. So let's talk about these evidence-based recommendations. The export panel rec- recommendations for non-restorative caries treatment for, are comprehensive and they are tailored for different situations depending on the patient's needs. So these recommendations they span a wide range from non-cavitated to cavitated le- lesions. Um, it specifically discussed primary or permanent teeth, things of that nature. Uh, there are evidence-based protocols to follow for every situation, every patient, um, but ultimately the idea is to improve patient care overall. So prevention is at the heart of dental hygiene and dental hygienists play a crucial role in this. So I think it's really important for dental hygienists to, to understand what these recommendations are and, and to also implement them in their practices every day. So let's discuss these specific ADA guidelines for caries prevention. So for non-restorative prevention for non cavitated caries lesions on occlusal surfaces, the guidelines recommend sealants plus fluoride varnish every three to six months or sealants alone. So sealants tend to be more important for these areas on the occlusal surfaces versus fluoride varnish. If you can do both, that is ideal, but if you can only choose to do one because maybe the patient can't come every three to six months or something like that, then they're recommending just putting the sealants on. For occlusal cavitated lesions, the guidelines recommend the annual application of 38% silver diamine fluoride or SDF, which is probably what I will, prefer, will refer to it moving forward. Uh, for a proximal non-cavitated lesions, these are the incipient lesions you see on radiographs. Uh, the guidelines recommend fluoride varnish every three to six months or resin infiltration. For a proximal cavitated lesions, the guidelines recommend the annual application of 38% SDF. For facial or lingual cavitated lesions, the guidelines recommend annual application of 38% SDF. These recommenda- re- recommendations are for both primary and permanent dentitions. So it doesn't matter if it's a deciduous tooth or a permanent tooth, these recommendations apply to both. But now we're gonna talk about More specifically, for non-restorative options for both non-cavitated and cavitated carious lesions on root surfaces of permanent teeth, the guidelines recommend prescription fluoride toothpaste with 5,000 parts per million fluoride, and if this is not feasible, then the other options are fluoride varnish application every 3-6 to months, 38% SDF annual application, or chlorhexateen thymol varnish applied every three to six months. Um, Personally, if I were seeing for my patients, if they had a cavitated lesion on a root surface, I would probably use the SDF annual application as as the the number one choice for a cavitated lesion. Um, In the guidelines, it says you could use any of these things for cavitated or non-cavitated. That's just my personal opinion because I think that um, if it's already cavitated that we need to kind of arrest it for sure. Um, And SDF seems to be a better choice in that particular situation. But uh, if you don't have access to it, then you have other options which are the Chlorhexidine Thymol Varnish, the Fluoride Varnish, and of course the um, prescription toothpaste with the 5,000 parts per million fluoride. So in recent years, there's been a growing concern about fluoride with some patients opting to avoid it. So let's discuss this trend and the need to balance non-fluoride options with evidence-based fluoride treatments for these particular patients. But before I get into that, um, I want to say that fluoride is safe in the doses that we use it in dentistry, as well as water fluoridation. We have 100 years of research backing the safety and efficacy of fluoride. Nonetheless, misinformation and disinformation about fluoride is rampant, almost as rampant as the decay many patients get by avoiding fluoride, which is unfortunate, but here we are. So another thing I wanna say before discussing non-fluoride options, uh, I wanna add a caveat, and that is that the expert panel clearly states, quote, non-fluoride preventative agents should be considered as adjunctive to a regular caries prevention program End quote. Therefore, we should still be recommending fluoride along with these options. Clearly, it is the patient's decision, but our job is to provide the best evidence-based practice, which would include recommending fluoride across the board. So, non-fluoride caries prevention agents include polyols such as xylitol chewing gum and lozenges, or chlorhexidine. Ideally, chlorhexidine and thymol varnish for coronal caries and root caries but you could always use chlorhexine gel or chlorhexine rinses if that's all you have access to. I do see and hear a lot of talk about arginine and nanohydroxyapatite. However, there is not enough evidence to support their use currently. If you are recommending either of these products as a replacement for fluoride, please advise your patients that it is not an evidence-based practice currently. That's not to say that it won't be at some point, but the current evidence tells us that it is not a good replacement for fluoride. I do want to circle back to sealants now. Um, I mentioned them previously, previously, but I wanna dive a little deeper. Sealants have been a topic of debate among dental professionals for as long as I can remember. However, the evidence overwhelmingly supports their use in preventing caries. Many dental professionals avoid them because they claim decay can develop under them and cause a bigger problem. However, the evidence is in stark contrast to these anecdotal experiences. If you have decided to omit sealants as an option for caries prevention, you are not practicing evidence-based dentistry, full stop. Furthermore, you are not providing your patients with all their options, which takes away their autonomy, one of the pillars of the patient's rights. So please don't omit sealants on your personal beliefs. The evidence regarding sealants shows a 76% reduction in caries, which is quite significant. And the expert panel recommendations for sealants is as follows placement and permanent molars with both sound occlusal surfaces and non-cavitated occlusal caries in children and adolescents. Um, What I want to just talk about for just one second before I go to the next one, the next recommendation, is that when I say non-cavitated caries non-cavitated caries lesions on the occlusal surface, we're talking about the staining and the grooves and it hasn't broken through the enamel where it's caused a cavitation. Um, for some reason, people often think that just because the grooves are stained that you can't seal over that, and that is not true, and that is not the recommendations of the expert panel. Mm. The expert panel says if it's a non-cavitated occlusal caries lesion, you can seal over it safely, okay? With no, no concerns about it getting worse. Okay, um, so the second thing is prioritize the use of sealants and permanent molars with both sound occlusal surfaces and non-cavitated occlusal caries lesions over fluoride in children and, and adolescents. So if you have to choose between fluoride or sealants for occlusal surfaces, always go with the sealants. It, they're more effective at preventing decay. Um, And lastly, no recommendation for one type of sealant over another, the panel was unable to determine superiority. So essentially you can use whatever uh, sealant material you have, it will work the same as any other one. They, They couldn't determine one was superior to another. I know that some of this information may not sit well with people that have their own personal beliefs about sealants or fluoride. But in healthcare, we have to follow evidence. That's the entire point of healthcare is to follow the evidence, to provide clinical practice guidelines so that all patients receive the same care and the same recommendations, and it's not as confusing. In dentistry, we are not up to par with that. We see patients and the recommendations can vary within the office itself if there are multiple providers. So the goal of evidence-based dentistry and clinical practice guidelines is to set the standard of care for our patients. And for us, um, embracing evidence-based dentistry benefits both patients and dental professionals. It ensures a consistent standard of care, uh, reduces decision-making stress, and provides reassurance to the patients. And keep in mind, (laughs) anecdotal evidence should never trump robust data. The practicing evidence-based dentistry is crucial in today's healthcare landscape because we have the data to support it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Curiosity Killed the Plaque. I hope this discussion has shed light on the importance of evidence-based dentistry and how it can positively impact your patient's care. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at spring at todaysrdh.com. And until next time, guys, stay curious.